Welcome to the Arena Deckless Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry Thompson. Here with me, as always, is Brian Gottlieb, and we are talking about some standard today. Yeah, we just, uh, this is our second episode in a row. We've never done back-to-back recordings before, Jerry. We've definitely done like two episodes in a week, but we literally wrapped up the last episode and got right into this one. Yeah, this is kind of dope. I actually like this. I think we should just stack up like 10 podcasts. I'm sure people would not complain. We just jam their feed with podcasts every day. Well, we could take like a two-month break, man. That sounds great. Uh, somehow, I feel like that's not going to work. Because it turns out magic changes very quickly, especially this standard format uh, where things feel like they're constantly in flux on like a day-to-day basis. Yeah, I, I think the original fear after SCG Richmond was that Mono Red was going to be the litmus test for the format and the Esper decks were ultimately going to prove to be the best decks. Probably more specifically Esper Control. But since then, we've had a lot of decks kind of pop up. And you look at the various MCQ top eight deck lists and the Magic Online deck lists and stuff like that. And you're seeing like a lot of diversity. And I think that there are a solid amount of tier two decks that are actually viable, even though they are not as good in a vacuum as Esper or Mono Red. But you can definitely find something that is very strong positioned in like a week-to-week basis. I think so too. And Arena is very much proving that right now as the top of the ladder has a different context and different contours to it every single day. Like there is some hotness every day, everyone picks it up and by the next day it has changed. And it's kind of crazy. I think the most recent... Well, maybe not the most recent, but like the hottest thing that has happened is the Jeskai Planeswalker deck, right? Uh, I mean, until a few hours ago, and now I feel like everyone is talking about four color Planeswalkers instead, which, when did this happen? Like, it it happened overnight, and now everyone's excited about this build based around the, what's the, I don't even know what the card is called, the six mana sorcery. Com- Command the Dreadhorde. Command the Dreadhorde. That's the new hotness. And it was, I think, Andrei Strasky and uh, Stanislav Sivka and Ivan Flock, who kind of came up with this idea at first and popularized it. And I know Wyatt Darby's streaming it right now. So these things are just proliferating across streamers so quickly. And before this, it was the John Rolfe Planeswalker deck. Are you seeing a common trend here about what seems to be capturing the imagination right now of all us <laughs> Magic players? Well, one thing I want to point out is that Raph Levy just posted an, an article on Haruya, basically with the the same Command the Dreadhorde deck. But like, I assume that they okay. came up with it independently, right? Because it's like sure. only the articles take two days to get edited and published and stuff. But his list is very similar to the one that Andre was playing. And yeah, the common theme, obviously are planeswalkers and we've seen this with the esper control decks too where maybe you start with two teferis and you sideboard some narsets and then it's like okay well maybe i'll play one narset and then two and now it's like people are playing like three teferis three narsets and ugin like there are planeswalkers all over the place yeah and the planeswalkers really actually maybe from week one have been telling the story of this format. You can kind of track the Planeswalkers and see how things are going. And these static abilities are really dramatically warping what you can do. They are setting the terms of engagement, particularly Teferi, Narset. If you're not cognizant of these cards in deck building, you are making a tremendous mistake. And that 
influence is really shaping the ground level of the format. And it's why what I believed to be the best deck, what I still believe to be the best deck in a vacuum kind of feels unplayable right now. And it's crazy how quickly that occurred. I'm of course talking about Simic Nexus. Yeah. Simic Nexus generally has an edge over the format as a whole because standard typically has a lot of mid range and Simic Nexus just it, it's a joke of a matchup. Typically, Simic Nexus just like outdraws them. The mid range decks don't kill very quickly. You have Root Snare. The mid range decks don't have a lot of reach, and Nexus just always goes over the top. And now you're seeing the mid range decks incorporate things like Teferi Time Raveler, just as a good value card that also incidentally happens to hate on Nexus. And then it just goes like a step further when people start playing Narset as well. And now you have people like Kane Reinhardt working hard to actually fix Simic Nexus. And I actually saw him streaming when we were recording this with the mass manipulation deck. So like that's that's another thing where mass manipulation against things like Esper Control would just not be viable. But since they have three Planeswalkers on the battlefield at any given time, like mass manipulation is usually just game over. And you're seeing things like Elder Spell pop up. You're seeing Legion Warboss come in out of sideboards for... Is it Phoenix and Jeskai Planeswalkers just to have something that gives you a little bit of an edge in these Planeswalker fights and having a 1-1 haste token actually does a lot. It certainly does. Why don't we back up a little bit? Because I feel like we're just like popping off with random bits of information now. Maybe a better way to go about this conversation would be to first establish the tier one as we see it right now going into this weekend's mcqs and scg syracuse of course the other big standard event how do you view tier one of standard presently i i think gun to my head i would say mono red esper control full stop well i i am i'm stunned right now jerry because you you did not say esper mid-range and we've had kind of this ongoing battle not only personally, as we discussed this format, but we had it in writing over on Star City this week too. Uh, you wrote an article this week entitled "Why Esper Control is Better Than Esper," or excuse me, "Why Esper Midrange is Better Than Esper Control for SCG Syracuse." And I wrote "Why Esper Control is Better Than Esper Midrange." What's the deal? It's not a tier one deck right now. Well, I think Esper Control is a stronger deck in a vacuum, and while I think that Esper mm-hmm. Midrange is a very good deck and maybe it like it's certainly one of the decks that I would register I would consider registering for this weekend and I think it's a deck that a lot of people are going to register cuz I think a lot of people picked up my deck and did very well with it and everything but I I think that right now specifically you can't really count anything except for mono red and esper control because those those are the two decks that are going to exist throughout the entire lifespan of War of the Spark standard like there is basically nothing that can happen that can dethrone those decks from playability. Whereas I can't say the same for any of the other decks. But if, if you're talking about like what decks I would consider registering this weekend, it would be Esper Control, uh, Esper Midrange, Is It Phoenix, Jeskai Super Friends. And I think that's about it. Okay. But just because I would register those decks doesn't mean that they're necessarily tier one. Right. But I do of think course. That you know, they're they're well positioned, they're doing things that the other decks at the top aren't necessarily prepared for, and so on and so forth. No, I like I like what you did there because we often talk about tier one, and I came across this problem. I did factor fiction over on SCG this week, and 
we were essentially asked to identify if a certain deck was a tier one deck. And my problem with that is what does it even mean to be a tier one deck? And I defined it basically as you do, a deck that has adaptability and longevity in a format, one that's likely to be present throughout because it can kind of shift and do exactly what's required at any given second. And under those definitions, I think you can just say Esper generally, because I, I look at Esper midrange as kind of a continuum of the Esper control strategy. And while there's certainly hallmarks of it, I just think moving somewhere along that Esper spectrum, and maybe it's even dialed back from the midrange approach and stepped up from the control approach. There's something between those two decks that could exist still as we move forward in the format. I don't know. It, it seems plausible to me that there's always a spot on the spectrum of Esper that's going to be good. I don't know that it has to necessarily be the control slot. I, I think there could be times where that deck could absolutely be hated out. It's just going to require maybe more efforts than, than it's worth. It's going to have to really take over the format before it happens. So props for distinguishing that. But why don't we move on to talk about the decks we would play? And the biggest one that stands out to me on your list, and I think one that's been really at the forefront of a lot of people's minds these last few days is it Phoenix? Seemingly from out of nowhere, right? But then you go and do some research. It won the last two Magic Online MCQs. And Magic Online MCQs, notoriously tough, extremely talented players, and generally up-to-date metagames, if not even forward-thinking metagames. Right. So back-to-back -back wins for Is It Phoenix has to say a lot. Why do you think this deck has a home right now? Against Esper midrange specifically, having things like Arclight Phoenix is really difficult for them to deal with. I think the mono-red matchup is generally pretty close. Like you have the early removal spells, you have things like Crackling Drake that are big bodies, but ultimately you do have to engage in a race with them. But if if they're playing things like Chandra, I think... Well, first of all, let me just say that Chandra is much worse than Experimental Frenzy. Uh, with you. Yeah, okay. I, I I just lose games to Experimental Frenzy that like I should never like. I just feel like I have them locked up. Experimental Frenzy hits, I'm caught without an answer, and I lose on the spot. Whereas Chandra, there's a litany of answers, and it doesn't matter for the first three turns. It's on the battlefield, and then when it does matter, it's only seven points of damage. And if I've dealt with the early game effectively, that doesn't matter. So yes, I agree. Yeah. So if, if someone plays a Chandra against Is It Phoenix, like they they don't really care, you know. You play a frenzy, you're you're actually in some trouble potentially. Obviously, it depends on like you know what the top seven cards of their deck are, but it is certainly a much scarier card overall. So I I like its positioning against mono red. I like its positioning against Esper midrange. Esper control is a lot tougher, but I do think that with the right sideboard configuration, uh, you can do a lot of things that will sidestep what Esper is expecting to fight against. And stuff like Legion Warboss, having your own copies of Narset. Uh, I don't like Niv-Mizzet when all the control decks are playing Thought Erasure. I think that it's just like too expensive. Your land count's super low. It's not even a guarantee that you get to cast it and resolve it and untap with it, you know? You, you have just like a lot of problems in the meantime, too, when they're playing things like Narset and... Teferi that just kind of mess up your game plans and make it so you can't use your cantrips efficiently and can't actually get to six mana. Like, is it Phoenix has to absolutely be the beatdown in that matchup. And I think going into this weekend specifically, Esper control players are maybe not going to be as prepared for that as they should. Uh, maybe if you're playing enough on Magic Online and 
Uh, I have Kenji Samura and his friend Ryuji staying with me for the Magic Online Championship this weekend, and I'm watching Kenji just jam Esper Control in leagues, and he's running into a lot of Is It Phoenix. It's like two or three copies per league. So, like, the people on Magic Online clearly knows what's up. Uh, but if you're just playing on Arena or playing in real life or whatever, like, you might not have that experience where, like you said, Magic Online tends to be the actual metagame or a little bit ahead. But yeah, if, if you play like Warboss, Narset, and some counter spells, I think you're in a pretty good spot against Esper this weekend. And then obviously the Nexus matchup is kind of tough. Like you have a clock, but you don't have a lot of disruption. Azorius Aggro doesn't seem to be very popular, which is still kind of confusing to me, but you can beat it if you want. Like if you actually put in the work and have a good sideboard plan, I think of uh, like Luis's deck at I don't know, the first MC or maybe the last Pro Tour, whenever it was. I think it was the last standard Pro Tour where he he played Phoenix kind of out of nowhere when no one was expecting it. Yeah, and he had a very good plan for Mono White and right. you know, a bunch of entrancing melodies and rals and stuff like yep. that. Stuff like Bant Midrange, right? Like you don't really have a clock. You're not presenting a lot of threats. You're trying to play like this slow, grindy game that eventually caps out with like, got eternal Oketra and hydroid crisis and stuff like that. And you just, those decks lose to Arclight Phoenix every time. So agree with everything you're saying. And there was a point, there was a point earlier this week where I'm like, yeah, is it Phoenix is kind of the truth right now. This lines up very well with what the format's about presents a lot of problems for the existing decks, but, and there's always a, but one of the reasons why is it Phoenix has never really occupied tier one, as I see it, is that it's extremely linear and very, very easy to adapt to. And I think if you want to beat Is It Phoenix as a lot of decks, not every deck, some decks have fundamental flaws against the archetype and have a very hard time correcting those flaws. But for the most part, if you want to beat Is It Phoenix, you can find the way to do so. And if you remember, if you go way back to the Genesis of Is It Phoenix. And, you know, we were certainly on the cutting edge of that. Josh Cho and I played Is It Phoenix at its kind of breakout tournament at GP New Jersey when we spotted this as something that Golgari decks were going to have a very, very difficult time beating. But eventually Golgari just changed a few cards in its deck and made the Is It Phoenix matchup totally reasonable. Like, Well, what actually happened was Is It did adapt and became Is It Drake's. It right? did. And th- And then everything eventually circled back around. I do think that it's disingenuous to say that is it was not tier one during that era, because I think it, I think it was like, it's basically the same argument that you're making for Esper. So, so here's the thing. Is it Drake's was a good deck, but I think this version of is it Phoenix is best when it's doing this thing, when it's doing the arc light Phoenix cantrip thing. And you can make it work. And maybe this is a relic of an old format. Maybe in the old format, it was in fact tier one. And I'm being unfair right now. I think in this present format, though, it's going to have a harder time making those same kind of adjustments given the presence of this very Planeswalker-centric axis and playing Drakes into those things, not super exciting. Like I'm cool with playing Arc-like Phoenix into Planeswalkers, but trying to just play this three mana creature, which has no immediate impact, really frightens me. And I don't think that's something you can do successfully into a world of Teferi Time Revelers. I mean, you can't even do like the dive down, protect your stuff trick anymore if that card's omnipresent. So I I, I don't think it's going to have the same moves this time around is basically what I'm saying. 
Oh, yeah. No, I agree with that completely. I'm just saying that I do think that is it was tier one along with Golgari, you know, two formats ago. Okay. Okay. That's I'll but, concede that point. That's fine. Yes. For for this format specifically, I agree with you. The the Drake's thing isn't really gonna cut it. I don't really see another avenue that is it can go to. I do think that it is basically pigeonholed into Arclight Phoenix territory, and certainly mm-hmm. that gives you a, a decent amount of issues. Back up a little bit too, because I there's one thing that I want to point out that we didn't really talk about in regards to Chandra versus Frenzy, is that okay. Chandra's really bad against three mana Teferi. Okay. Because you can't cast the spells anymore. Right. And is it Phoenix kind of has this problem now with like Finale of Promise, which is like the new print that it got. And I do think that that adds a little bit to the deck. But yeah, realistically, is it Phoenix does still have some trouble with these three mana planeswalkers. Like, I don't want to make it seem like that sort of stuff is easy because you have like Charter Course and you're playing a bunch of cantrips and stuff. Like, both mm-hmm. Teferi and Narset are problematic cards. And the fact that Teferi blanks Finale of Promise, which is supposed to be like your big you know, payoff two for one card against control or whatever. Like those, those things are issues for sure. And I don't think we're in a world where outside of the Jeskai super friends deck, where everyone is playing like six, three mana planeswalkers main or even more. So again, I do feel like, is it Phoenix for this weekend specifically is, is in a good spot. Yeah. And one of the things too, about those planeswalkers is having haste threats against them matters a lot. Obviously, there's Arclight Phoenix, but you also mentioned Legion Warboss as an option. And Legion Warboss is impressive in this format. It's kind of like a bootleg red hero of Precinct 1 where you're able to generate this battlefield presence very quickly. But the haste attacker really matters a lot because oftentimes these planeswalkers just sit at one loyalty and that 1-1 goblin able to pick them off. So I like that pickup a lot from these Is It Phoenix decks. But my main point was just that I think there's some very easy moves for the existing tier one to make to just not have to worry about Is It Phoenix as a threat right now. And I've tuned my Esper control list where I'm very comfortable in the matchup. Certainly they can steal games. I'm not going to say it's you know, a smash and I beat them every time. Uh, I, I think originally, is it Phoenix versus default Esper control lists? I would say that is it Phoenix had the edge. Absolutely. They were able to leverage Narset really well in post-board games. Your Kaya's Wrath looked a little silly. As I've adapted, I now have more Vraska's Contempt. I have Cry of the Carnarium main uh, in greater numbers. And if I wanted to, and I think this is more of a move for Esper Hero, but if I wanted to, I could go down the road of D-Spark as well, which is a really, really excellent card against these decks. Yeah, agreed. And I expect people to make that move going to this weekend. Now, am I getting ahead of myself? This is this is where you step in and tell me I'm projecting and I'm moving past the format that exists. Do you think people will start to make adjustments to Is It Phoenix going into this weekend? I don't think so. I, I don't think that Is It Phoenix is really proven. I don't think that, like, it has won the last two MCQs on Magic Online, but aside from that, that's it. Uh, it it's not a deck that- But what else screen- is it supposed to be winning, right? I like. That, no, that's no, it. I, Those are the events. I, I understand, but it's it's not a deck that a lot of people talk about. It's not a deck that like streamers have been picking up en masse. And mm-hmm. we talked about Rhino Coin winning the MCQ, and like uh, he went undefeated with Is It Phoenix also. So it's like that's three MCQ wins for Is It Phoenix if you want to start counting the real life ones. Right. Uh, I th- I think people are sleeping on it, man. I, I just honestly think that and. 
I really think that people need to participate in a tournament where they get crushed by is it Phoenix or like they do poorly and is it Phoenix does well for them to really be like, oh yeah, this is a thing that I should be worried about. Very interesting. You know, it's it's hard for us sometimes because we're very plugged into some of the most on-point communities possible. Obviously, there's our Discord, the Arena Decklist Discord, where this stuff is just grinded out the moment this tech becomes known. People start talking about it, start analyzing out it, figuring ways to beat it, figuring ways to make it better. All that stuff happens immediately. But beyond that, you know, we talk with our fellow SCG writers, and it's been not yet a common point of discussion, but it's turning that way now. You know, we fielded a question about it in Factor Fiction. Uh, some people chose it in the What We Play column. So you keep seeing it pop up all over the place in these little bite-sized bits. And usually that means, okay, it's it's breakout weekend time. Is it Phoenix is a go? And people should be ready for it. And again, I'm willing to believe that's just me projecting my own community onto the broader magic community at large. And that's always the challenge with figuring out a metagame. Yeah, and I, I think that's it. I think some of the biggest mistakes that I've made in the past metagaming have been basically where you are, where it's like, well, I know that Phoenix is big. Obviously, everyone else should know that it's big. Therefore, like, I am going to play these cards to try and beat it. And also, is it Phoenix is not playable because everyone is going to do the same thing only to show mm-hmm. up and, you know, the, the tournament's just ripe for it. And I, th- I think you just generally do have to give it a week. I think that Last week was spent with uh, a lot of people talking about Esper Midrange and how they were doing well with it. And certainly uh, my article, I think, had a little bit to do with that because like Strosky was posting about it, uh, Andrew Schneider, some other folks. And, you know, yeah, people were tweeting at Arena Decklist saying like, oh, I hit Mythic with this, blah, blah, blah. And I'm not seeing a lot of the same chatter with Is It Phoenix. I'm not seeing a lot of people play it. Hmm. Okay, that's fair enough. I want to come back to Esper Hero and kind of how you view it right now. Let me make one more point about my own Esper Control kind of leanings and why I'm high on adapting to Phoenix is that I think it actually costs you very little as Esper Control to prepare for Phoenix. I think Cry of the Carnarium is just like the better sweeper right now. It's better against Mono Red. It's insane against the Esper Hero decks. You pick up a lot more equity by having that in your deck than Kaya's Wrath. So I think just making that switch is fairly free anyway. And that for me is a big point in favor of Esper Control. And I I just wanted to make that point. And now I want to talk about Esper Hero because you were so high in this deck going into last week. Like you were really excited about this archetype. And I I think you still are. I am. But it sounds like it's tempered a little bit. Things change a little bit. Like I said, the, the Phoenix matchup is not great. Again, similar to Esper Control, you can do a lot of things to make your matchup a little bit better against it. But realistically, the only reason that I'm kind of off it is that I think that is it Phoenix is stronger for this weekend. Okay. So it's not so much you have a problem with Esper Hero. It's just you think you've found a better option. Yeah. Well, I mean, a lot of other people have found better options. Have Sure. Like they've, they've found is it Phoenix, right? Like right. realistically, if it were me that figured out that Phoenix was good before anyone else did, like I'd be screaming it from the rooftops. Right. But now it's just like, well, I just did what a bunch of other smart people were already doing. You know, I can't really claim too much credit. Hey, look, there's a a lot to be said about knowing who to take advice from and picking up the right tidbits and also admitting when the thing you like, isn't the best thing anymore. These are all skills. There's, there's no shame in taking knowledge from other people. It's a huge part of the game. So uh, I, I wouldn't downplay that aspect of it. Do you want to talk about where your hero list stands now? 
maybe you could give some tips to people who are just in on the archetype. Because a lot of people love this deck, myself included, honestly. It might, it might sound like I'm bashing Esper Hero. I do think it's a very, very good deck. I think it's versatile. I think there's a lot of ways you can build it. And the configuration you were on last week, I think was pretty perfect for last week, quite frankly. Yeah. Goddamn right it was. <laughs> <laughs> Basically... I mentioned this in the podcast and in my article, uh, I view this kind of as like the green white tokens deck from a few seasons ago where you just accrue advantage and eventually kill your opponent. And I think that this deck does a good job of that. That is not going to be the ideal plan in every single metagame. I do think it's still a good plan in this one, but you do have to make some concessions to beating mono red. Like you need some amount of life gain stuff. Mm-hmm. And that either means like Oath of Kaya, Moment of Craving, Basilica Bell Haunt, Enter the God Eternals. People are playing Elite Guard Mage now, which you have to hate that, right? I kind of find offensive. Yeah. Yep. I knew you would. First of all, I like it. But as soon as I saw it, I'm like, Jerry will hate this card so much. I just knew instantly. So Ted Felicetti was the person, uh, the first person I saw playing it. And At the time, it's like, okay, that's kind of cute. That's like the ultimate hedge, right? It's this value creature against control decks. It's not dead against them. It still says gain three life on it, so it's got to be okay against mono red. But realistically, if you decide that you want to play some four mana mopey creature to help you against mono red, it has to be bell haunt because the fourth toughness matters so much. I think that's a good way of looking at it. And certainly that third point of power is not irrelevant either. Right. Getting that kind of pressure on Planeswalkers really matters a lot. It it holds off Chain Whirler, which is good, which sure. Guard Mage doesn't do. Like, that's kind of the problem is like, yeah, you gain three life, but if they still have a big Steamkin or a Chain Whirler, it just doesn't matter. They can also just point any of their three damage burn spells at it, and it doesn't matter. I think that's true. I, I did like the velocity it contributed to the deck, and I, I thought that was a real problem. I mentioned when I was beefing about this deck last week, I mentioned the tension of always wanting to hit those first five, six land drops, and then flooding in late games. And that really becoming a point of frustration. And I think that dulled a bit for me when I just did a better job of maximizing my cards. I think a lot of that frustration was on me and I wasn't getting enough out of my deputy of detentions by picking either poor targets or playing them at the wrong time. And I wasn't maximizing my Sorens. And once I started to do that a little bit more effectively, uh, I found my cards went further. But That being said, just doing that on easy mode had a lot of appeal to me. And I saw Canister streaming with this at some point earlier in the week. And I was like, this looks really nice and addresses basically exactly what my issue was with the deck. But I persevered. I never went as far as Elite Guard Mage. And I think for a lot of the reasons you're saying, just that that three toughness body is not going to get the job done in this format. It folds through absolutely everything and doesn't block anything effectively. Yeah, it's just, why would you play this card that is medium against mono red and medium against control when you could play a card that is very good against mono red and medium against control? Obviously, mm-hmm. the velocity helps a little bit more than Basilica Bell Haunt, but regardless, it's still a card that you're going to look to side out. Right. Yeah, neither so, one is a slam dunk in the matchup, that's for sure. Yeah, it, it changes very little, and that's kind of the biggest departure, I think, from my list and the random list that I see you know, people in the public playing is like, they'll have guard mage instead of bell haunt and they are not getting as much use from Soren because they refuse to play deputy detention, which I don't understand because deputy is so good right now. Deputy has been great for me. And I will say that my first tunings of this deck, when I took your list and I started messing around with it, I trimmed deputy detention. And again, 
as I played the deck more, I came to recognize this as a failing on my part and not the cards part. I just wasn't maximizing it in the right situations. And opinion split on Soren, but I agree that if you if you view this as a four deputy of detention deck, it is absolutely a Soren deck on top of it. It has to yes. be to maximize that card. Yep. And I think you can branch from that. You can have different versions of this deck. One of the things we keep talking about is how malleable it is. And that's fine. I think there probably are other successful versions. Some of them, I mean, no successful versions could ever have like Discovery Dispersal because that card just (laughs) makes me ill every time I cast it. But there's other ways to do it for sure. Explore those. That's fine. But if you're a Deputy Detention deck, you're a Soren deck without a doubt. Yeah. And Soren has been one of the cards that impressed me the most. I mean, it's very good with Hero, very good with Thief. I would not expect those cards to necessarily stick. If they do, I mean, you are kind of on easy mode. You're coasting. But realistically, they're going to die, and then you want to play Soren to actually bring it back. But having eight creatures to go with three Sorens is also not really a great recipe. So having Deputy adds to that a lot. And Soren, like Legion Warboss, is one of these cards that is actually really good against the three mana Planeswalkers because, like you yeah. noted, they end up on one loyalty a lot of the time. Yep, and that has mattered a ton in my games. I think the other route to take this deck is one with more bigger planeswalkers. You often see some lists with, uh, you know, six mana Liliana. You see Ugin occasionally make the cut. How do you kind of view those versions of Esper Hero versus your own? Like, how do you view their positioning? When are they going to be the correct choice, or are they just worse versions of the deck? No, I, th- I think if there are more mid range decks, more control decks, then. Having access to Liliana is great. And Ugin, less so. I think once you have like, you know, 10 to 15 creatures in your deck, Liliana is just much better than Ugin because the passive is so insane. There is a world that exists, maybe not right now, but definitely at some point where two main deck Lilianas is going to be the right call. But if you are worried about mono red and worried about having like a a sleeker mana curve, then I don't think Liliana is necessarily something you can do, but I do think that it is like one of the best top ends that you could possibly have for the deck. But like if that world exists too, I might just play like a fourth big Teferi and just be pretty happy with that too. Okay. I'll note that kind of while this deck was gestating, it was gestating in a world where Absorb was still a playable magic card and Esper control decks had somewhere between six, seven, maybe even in rare cases, eight counter spells that you were concerned about. And as Teferi Time Raveler has made its presence felt, the number of counter spells has correctly decreased in all of these decks. So How these many haymakers are you currently playing? Zero absorbs. Absorbs not smart. a playable magic card right now. It's Very it's just smart. not. Like I would love if it was. And I think you introduce what I'm going to call perceived vulnerabilities by not having access to absorb, but really you just have to get more creative in your solutions. That's what it's about having more options in your sideboard, uh, you know, using things like Teferi bounce thought erasure to deal with Oketra, being more disciplined with your spells. That's how you deal with the lack of absorb, but it's just not a card you can realistically cast right now. And I'm not comfortable having more than three counter spells in my main deck, given how much Teferi exists in the format. So you have three vetoes? I have three vetoes, correct. Okay. Did, did you see Mattia Rizzi's list? I don't think so. What did it look like? I, I mean, I may have seen it, but not acknowledged it as his. I posted this on Arena Decklist, and it was from one of the five O's on Magic Online. And normally, I won't post individual decklists unless they're just incredible, right? And okay. he was the first person I saw to play Zero Absorbs. He had three vetoes, and 
was playing more planeswalkers than the average person. And it's just like, all right, you know, Mattia gets it, right? I had started cutting absorbs, and then I, I think even when we're getting to the MCQ for you last weekend, like I might have been advocating for no absorbs, but yeah, I know my numbers had gone down prior to the MCQ. I think I played like three absorbs, one veto, and just like very quickly into the day, I was like, these cards are trash, and I, I don't have time for a three mana counter spell right now. Yep. And I just can't. I, I mean, I, I figured out the part of don't play six counter spells anymore. I just didn't realize which ones I needed to be playing. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, to Teferi, it just changes the game, man. It does. It does. And I, I think the best decks are building with knowledge of that presently. And that opens up a whole new can of worms because once the counter spells fall out of the format, well, then these six mana planeswalkers start looking a lot better. And not only that, but some huge spells start to look appealing. And my favorite huge spell is presently mass manipulation. Yes, I'm on board the mass manipulation train. Uh, I'm not saying I'm playing it at my MCQ, but I've been playing it on arena and it's a real deck a hundred percent. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I think it is one of those things where for this metagame very specifically, just ramping and playing giant control magics is a viable thing. I mean, we talk about Legion Warboss, the pressure of the Planeswalkers, the black decks have gone up in Elder Spells, and there are things like Sorin and now this blue-green ramp deck that just plays four mass manipulations. And I think that these are all reasonable places to go to. I do think that mass manipulation the deck just might end up finding itself in an awkward spot where you play against mono red or things that are not necessarily like in your crosshairs. Mm -hmm. And I think it is it Phoenix is probably one of those decks, right? Like you can't enjoy playing against a deck with Legion war boss and spell pierce, right? Any deck which has red mana tends to be problematic. Quite frankly, the mono red matchup, it's just like, I mean, you're devoting 10 sideboard slots to it and you're getting to 40% if you're lucky in post-board games, I would estimate, and you're just not winning game ones for the most part. So I've messed around with a white splash a little bit. I think it it helps the control matchup. It helps the mono red matchup, but both small amounts and you're probably just worse everywhere else. So I don't know. I mean, maybe you have enough equity in those other matchups that you can afford to give some of it up and Bant will actually be the way forward because Teferi Time Reveler is nice when you're casting 10 mana sorceries. So we'll see if that's something that can be leveraged going forward. I mean, it's kind of my thing to just stick Teferi in every deck right now and see where it sticks. That is a fine plan. Yeah, (laughs) honestly. I think on the whole, the mass manipulation decks are doing something special and they remind me, there's always these options, right? That just go so far over the top of what everyone else is doing. And mass manipulation is the newest version of that. And it works. It's real. It sat on the top of the mythic ladder for a long time. Uh, I forget the username, but someone posted a really nice write-up of the deck over on uh, our spikes, really laying out their success and what they've been playing. And they were very open about the fact that they did not feel like they had an optimal version of this deck list. I know Sam Black has been working on it. I see people streaming it now. So maybe this is the next big thing. If Is It Phoenix is the big thing right now, maybe this is the next big thing. Yeah, I don't know. Like I said, I, I think that that deck is just going to run into problems where you play against these red decks. And, you know, Mono Red is still the litmus test, I think. I think you still have to respect it and you have to build your decks with it in mind. It is still going to show up and it has done pretty well thus far in the various mcqs and everything and i just would not play this deck that has these really polarizing matchups where 
you know, you can find a, a slightly better version of that, I think. And is it Phoenix is where I'm at currently, but just like any deck that is like solid against mono red, solid against Esper, very good against the middle tier and doesn't have any like auto losses. I mean, I'm, I'm more on board with that than it's just like, yes, please let me play against planeswalkers. I don't want to play against a mountain. Yeah. There's an interesting thing to be said there for general MCQ strategy, right? And the fact that you are often incentivized to try and take less polarized matchups in the MCQ format where you just, honestly, it's very difficult to predict a metagame. And oftentimes the metagame can bifurcate where one part of the field faces one set of decks and the other part of the field faces the other deck. Like my friend who played the the Bellevue MCQ, Shane, he's a, a very competent player, played a bunch of Pro Tours, played Mono Red. He felt like it was the best option. And he said that, Everything just felt intensely hateful and he felt very squarely in the crosshairs and just didn't really feel like he had any traction throughout the day and really had no shot of doing well in the tournament. Well, the tournament was in fact won by (laughs) mono red. So it's like, you know, how how did that happen? I I don't have an answer for you. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you where if I'm taking a shot at an MCQ, I want something a little bit closer to the middle of the field. If you're looking for that dream 53% deck that we're all chasing, that's what we want. 53% matchups against everyone. And that's the dream. My friend Gavin top eight of that tournament very easily with my Esper midrange list, by the way. Very nice. I, there was so much Esper midrange in the room. I, I played against it four times. Record? 3-1. Not bad. Yeah. How, I, how long was... did you stick around actually? Cause I left after like round two. Cause I just felt like crap. Like I went home Took some aspirin, took a nap, but I, I I wish I could have stuck around. I was in it till late. I was four one, um, and then I I lost like I don't think it was actually a winning in because the it was a pretty loaded seven round tournament. So I probably would have had to win two, but I, I lost in round six, and then certainly my heart was not in it in round seven. But I did get smashed by a very cool looking Mardu deck, and you'll be happy to know Treasure Map ran all over me in that Hell matchup. Hell yeah! So I, I'm sure you're excited about that. Uh, but yeah, it, it was a fine tournament. I felt like my Esper list was off by a few cards and uh, I was punished in the mirror for those mistakes. And, you know, you have to have a very almost perfect list, especially when you're playing something like Control to uh, really capitalize there. And I, w- I didn't quite have a perfect list. I'll say that. Yeah, I very rarely nail week one, but generally it's like, okay, these are the things that people are doing. This is how my deck could have been a little bit better. And now this is what people are going to do differently next week. Like I'm, I'm generally really good for like week two, week three. Yeah. Well, that's a fine place to be, I think. And uh, you know, that's where we're headed to now. So hopefully your advice and mentorship will result in me winning this weekend's MCQ. We shall see. Although I'm probably going to disregard your advice and play Esper control, but that's besides the point. This conversation is still useful. Yo, like I said, man, Esper control is currently being played to death in my living room. And I like Kenji's list a lot. Kenji's winning. He's ready to basically lock it in. And then we have to, we have to take Kenji to draft camp. Okay. Do you feel confident that you can get Kenji up to speed in time? No, of course not. I've played very little of this format, but (laughs) excellent. Glad he put his faith in you. I mean, I'll do my best. Yeah. How did you end up as host for Kenji for this Mox event? Uh, Kenji's gas. I don't know. I make it a point to say hi to him at every tournament. We, we hang out, joke around and his English has gotten incredible over 
like the last five years or so. Cause before it was basically just like, you know, I could speak to him in like one word sentences or whatever. And obviously my Japanese is terrible and by terrible, I mean, non-existent, non-existent. Right. Uh, I, I know like, you know, three words from watching anime or whatever. So mm-hmm. yeah, now, now his English is pretty good. We, we talk via messenger and Twitter a decent amount. And for the last couple of years specifically, we've ended up playing like the same deck at pro tours multiple times. And it's just like, man, why didn't we talk to each other? You know, cause like we're bro- both working alone. We both like each other. We, we kind of think the same way, you know, I'm, I'm talking to him about like sideboarding and stuff. And it's like, we, we just think the exact same way, man. It's just like, okay, on the draw, I want this. I think given this person's setup, like this one card will be stronger than this card. And like, you know, we just agree with each other. Uh, I, I think it is awesome that he queued for the mocks that happens to be 10 minutes from my house. And, you know, he asked and I, I was more than happy to oblige. So I like having yeah. him around. He's a good dude. Uh, that's really cool. And one of the things that when we worry about the health of magic, that was the last podcast, not this one. I'm going to keep it real brief. I promise. When we worry about it, these are the things I fear might get lost. Like a friendship with someone across an ocean that you've developed over the years and now you're able to offer them your home. Like that's a really special thing. And I hope that never goes away from the game. And that's all I'm going to say about it. Yeah. I uh, dude, him, both Kenji and Ryuji bought me or brought me a bunch of gifts. Uh, so like I have a bunch of like official cup noodle stuff from Japan, like not literal cup noodles from final fantasy 15, but like good stuff. I have a bunch of different Japanese snacks. Kenji brought me some Japanese planeswalkers. So now I have nice. a, a play Very set nice. of Japanese Narsets and Vivians. And it's just like, it's so nice, man. Like they're yeah. just wonderful humans. That's really cool. So yeah, if I, if I can be responsible for him doing a little bit better in the tournament, I mean, it's the least I can do. All right. He's the official arena deck list pick going into this weekend, wishing success for Kenji in the mocks. Yeah, I <laughs> I showed him our arena decklist Twitter account and he was like, what? Like he, he was just surprised because he couldn't find decklist from arena anywhere. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, have you heard of this account? And then he was he was uh, surprised that that account had more followers than he did. <laughs> <laughs> we beat him. Nice. So, yeah, good time so far. What about Jeskai Planeswalkers? This was the hotness for maybe a week. Uh, shout out to like Ben Reagan and Zach Elsick who made the original blue white list. And then mm-hmm. John Rolfe picked it up, made it Jeskai. And then uh, Frank Moon and Savage tuned that a little bit. I think they went in kind of different directions. But regardless, there are a bunch of different versions of this deck that are all doing pretty well. Like the deck capitalizes on a lot of the stuff that we're talking about, right? Where it's like it Narciss busted, Teferi's busted. And when you back those up with things like Kazmina and Sarkin, it's like, oh, like this deck actually like puts you on a clock and kills you very quickly. The details surrounding that are a little murky where, you know, some people are playing Fibblethip and Mox Amber and Spell Pierce. And some people are like, that is garbage. I'm not playing that. Frank Moon is playing. Jaya's Immolating Inferno and stuff. So I don't know. I, I think... This deck has a very strong core, but certainly the more mass manipulations and elder spells that people are playing, it gets a lot scarier and a lot worse for the deck. That's my concern. And I kind of see it in the same vein as the Is It Phoenix decks where, okay, if this is a deck I have to be prepared for and I have to beat, I can do so. I can find ways to beat this deck. And again, my Esper Control deck, which is 
focused primarily on creature-based matchups, you would think, has evolved to such a place where I feel totally comfortable in this matchup. And I, I will say I am playing two Elder Spells in my sideboard now, which is not something I really ever thought I would be doing. But there's just so much of this deck on Arena. I don't know if I'm going to make the same move for this weekend's MCQ. I'm going to have to think about that a little bit. But the the problem is it's not only this Jeskai Planeswalkers deck. There's like six flavors of this deck going around right now. We talked about the crazy combo-ish version of it based on the Explorer creatures and the March of the Dreadhorde. Is that it? I know you just told me. Command the Dreadhorde. Command the Dreadhorde. Thank you. I'll get that eventually. But there's multiple versions of this Planeswalker-based strategy around. And also just like the Elder Spells are really good card somehow just on its face. Like it answers all these problematic things that the Esper deck has a hard time dealing with. I've flirted with one in the main deck. I don't think that's even crazy. Like I think it's very realistic to do that kind of stuff. So the more that starts happening... I think that is a very real problem for this deck. Like the Elder Spell is designed to be a safety valve against the format just looking like this, being over infested and overrun with these planeswalkers. And it's time to start leaning on it. And I think I'm not the only one doing so. I, I see more and more Elder Spells every time I look at a list. Uh, we mentioned Andre Strosky working with your list. I know he had two Elder Spells in his sideboard as of now. So. It's just becoming a trend, and I think that bodes very poorly for these decks continuing to do quite as well as they have been. But prior to people adapting to them, unquestionably, this deck was very, very close to that tier 1.5 range. I just can't put it in tier 1 because it doesn't have the same adaptability that we always talk about. Yeah, I definitely agree. If there were a better card that stopped the Elder Spell or that protected you from it, um, from my experience, it was like, okay, I can play things like Dovin and Kazmina and just kind of like tax them out or whatever and then hope to clock them. But realistically, I I think what you have to probably do is, I, I don't know if it's like cut the red, cut the white or splash one of them, but I think just like playing Thought Erasure as your two drop is the strongest thing that you can be doing. Hmm. And then that's a deck that can actually main deck the Elder Spell because you can just backpack off your own stuff to ultimate one of your Planeswalkers. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of crazy and not something we've really seen all that much thus far. But yeah, maybe that's the next step for this format where you're just Elder Spelling your own things. And then you know things have gone completely off the rails. Yeah, I, I think it is probably just Grixis uh, splashing the two Teferis is probably where you want to be. Very interesting stuff. Uh, we'll have to see if that becomes a thing. I, I mean, there's stuff like Lazatep plating that you could do, but that's so narrow. And I, I know I've seen people play that card. I, I just don't know if I buy that one yet. No, I mean, it's the same thing as just playing a negate, right? Right. So maybe that's what Command the Dreadhorde is all about, like just being able to rebuild these battlefields and, you know, ed- acknowledge that you're going to, in fact, be facing more Elder Spells. Well, here's my way around that. I have a quasi combo kill that I can just present out of nowhere. Yeah, that's possible. I mean, it. I don't know how many Command the Dreadhordes you can play per game. You know, I, I think the deck is really good at like gaining 10 life, but not a whole lot past that. Well, the, the thing is, if your creatures are also being answered, then you get rebuys on all these those explore creatures as well. And if they're not, then aren't you winning? Like if you have your four threes and three twos on the battlefield, then you should be in a pretty decent state anyway. So, Yeah, you might be right. I, I could see that. I, I'll be honest. This deck just popped up. I was literally building it in arena as we sat down to record, and I haven't <laughs> played a game with it yet. After this podcast, that's going to be the first thing I do is get a better sense of exactly what's going on with Command the Dreadhorde. Well, uh, my recommendation to you would just be tune Esper Control some more. 
Um, yeah. I, I feel like you're pretty locked into playing it. Uh, I mean, if possible, maybe you want to take like, is it Phoenix for a spin or whatever, but realistically you're probably going to end up playing Esper. That's my instinct. I mean, I, I've played a lot of magic this week. I generally, I feel like I'm in a good place with my Esper build. I'll continue to monitor it, continue to take in information from other sources, but I would be very comfortable playing it, which is why I feel like I have the time to do things like go ahead and play command the dread horde and cast a bunch of mass manipulations x equals six and i don't feel like i'm throwing away too much equity by doing so just because uh i i think i've come to a good place with esper control i have a good understanding of what it needs to do and i think my list is in a good place for this weekend no that's legit so i think mono red is a fine choice i think that a lot of people are turning to the very specific like life gain cards to fight mono red mm-hmm. and those cards are okay against the white aggro decks, but not great. So I would recommend that honestly, if you were thinking about playing mono red this weekend, maybe you try playing with the white aggro decks instead, or, you know, again, is it Phoenix? If that is still kind of your thing, like the deck is aggro adjacent, but yeah, other than that, I think, Esper, maybe Jeskai or, you know, Bant, Sultai, like some sort of Planeswalker deck, I think could be good this weekend. It's sort of like, is it Phoenix where I don't think that people have adapted fully? Uh, I don't think that people are just going to be like, aha, like Jeskai Planeswalkers, I tested this matchup a bunch, blah, blah, blah. Like I'm super ready for it. I think we're getting there. And I think after this weekend, we're going to have a lot of people in the winner's circle who have things like Legion War Boss and Elder Spell and whatever. And then it's mm-hmm. like, okay, back to the drawing board. But uh, I don't think we're there yet. Could you see people, and obviously this is going to be a small subset of people, so maybe it's not even worth acknowledging as a possibility. I could also see, though, Planeswalkers being the type of deck that could engender that raw, terrible hatred where someone's just like, I have four Elder Spell between my main and sideboard and I'm never losing to this deck. You know how we've <laughs> seen that pop up in the past with decks oh, yeah. that people just don't want to lose to? Planeswalkers has that vibe to it, I think. Yeah, I agree with that, but it's a matter of how much people have gotten to play and whether they've actually gotten to play enough against it to get to the point where people are just like, I hate losing to this deck. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean... <laughs> A lot of games being played on Arena. That's all I'll say. And a lot more games than used to be played. And the excuse of I hate Magic Online has mostly been filtered out. And Arena is very popular. That's all I'll say. I don't know if people are more prepared. I don't know exactly how it reflects on paper MCQs. It's really hard to process these kind of more subtle effects of Arena at this stage. But it's something I'm keeping an eye on throughout the MCQ uh, season to be sure. Just seeing how fast the technology is moving. Yeah, that's legit. Uh, anything else we want to add? No, I think I checked most of my boxes for the standard decks that have interested me thus far. Uh, it looks like the wackier combo decks have sort of phased out. There's not going to be any Splinter Twin going on, I don't think. <laughs> uh, Nexus remains in a fairly poor position. I don't think that's going to change. Although, I'm not ruling it out for the entirety of the format. I think things could get to a point where that deck can become the best choice again. Oh, I definitely agree. But it's not now. That's all I'm sure of at this point. It's just not the right call presently. Yep, I agree with that too. So every week we solicit a question from the wonderful folks over in the Arena Decklist Discord. And we we pick a question to answer on the episode and the winner gets a couple packs of vintage game podcast sleeves while supplies last. Collector's items at this point. 
Yeah, and again, while supplies last. And I'm I'm in the works of getting like a cool prize, maybe not as cool as sleeves. Uh, but we will also have sleeves again at some point with the new logo and everything. Mm-hmm. But in the meantime, the question comes from Isaac Egan, and this is sort of a fun one. Isaac asks, Arena emotes on or off? And he just basically wants to know in case people get paired against us, if we can even see them saying hello. Well, mine are on. And I encourage you to throw me a hello if we get paired together. And I often, it's actually surprising how often I, one, get paired with someone from the Discord, two, just get paired with someone else I know. Because like, I don't know, Arena is a big world and you wouldn't think it would happen all the time. But I would say at least once a day I'm playing someone I either know personally or, you know, someone messages me in the Discord afterwards and like, hey, we just played. Uh, So that's cool to see. And Maybe at some point, Arena will have some social functions and we can chat a little bit afterwards and that would be good. But as it stands, we just have Arena emotes. I am happy if you send me a hello and I will tell you right now, me personally, I come from the canister school of emote usage. I drop them all throughout the game. They're all coming at you. You're getting your go. You're getting nice. Every single emote that's available to me, I am happy to deploy onto the battlefield and use. That's why they're there, Jerry. They weren't put in the game not to be used. Dude, why? Why? That's so awful. What? I, I mean, I'm just sitting there doing nothing. Why not use the options available to me? I'm basically reflex clicking on the emotes and just dropping whatever feels appropriate at the moment. Do you just click on the scorpion or alt tab into some anime or something? Sometimes I scorpion as well. No, scorpion's definitely on the table. Sometimes I'm just chasing that around the battlefield. But I don't know. I mean, like, here's the way I look at it. I I don't mean to be intrusive to my opponent's gameplay. I'm not trying to BM anyone. I do it in fun. And I think that, like, it adds a little bit of humanity to what's otherwise a very static and robotic interface like there's not a lot of person-to-person interaction because there is no chat because there's no real way of like connecting with your opponent so i like these silly little emotes as something to do and if they bother you or you don't like them you can turn them off very easily and who knows if people are even seeing my emotes i don't know what the default is like do you have your emotes on jerry do you see them so first of all, you're a monster. Second of all, <laughs> the, the thing I will point out is that your opponent doesn't know whether or not you are BMing them. It would be one thing if it were ambiguous, but I think most people lean towards BM because that is generally how they are used. But how BM is it when your options are limited to six things and they can be easily squelched at the click of a button? Like, is it actually that aggressive and intrusive i mean if they are look maybe i have this completely wrong i'll say that's a possibility but if they are if they are that problematic why are they in the stupid program like take them out right now if they're ruining anyone's experience because they're just this dumb little thing and if they're not a net positive they shouldn't be there so if you have a problem with this i think your problem is actually with the designers of arena not people like canister and myself who enjoy usage of the arena emotes Please don't say they gave me a way to BM my opponent and I'm going to use it. And if you have a problem with it, blame the designers, right? Like, I, I, I don't think the problem is necessarily your fault, right? Because like there are plenty of other people out there using them to BM people. And yeah, you can in theory just squelch them, but the damage is kind of already done, which is the part I don't really like. 
If my actions are doing true damage, I, I honestly and sincerely regret it. I, that is not my intention. I don't want to make your experience playing Arena worse by emoting you. I, I truly mean that. And if a bunch of people message me after this cast and agree with your stance that I am a monster and I am impeding uh, other people's enjoyment of Arena, I will stop tomorrow. I promise. That's it. I'm done with it. <laughs> but I really don't think the effect is as dramatic as it's being painted right now. Well, here's the thing. Here's my side of it. I auto squelch the emotes, which to me is a great feature because Shadowverse has it and Hearthstone, you have to squelch each person individually. Right. They, they don't just give you an option to auto turn them off, which is heinous. So I, I just choose to not interact with it. Like I don't want to BM people. I don't want to get BM'd. And if someone shoots me like a random hello or whatever, it's like, okay, sure. Like I could hello you back, but what does that really do? I don't think that that necessarily humanizes the experience. So you have a utilitarian approach to emotes. You don't think they are adding any value whatsoever. So you're just done with them. They're out the window. Well, they don't add any value for me. I know that other people like them. So again, Kenji's staying with me and Kenji was saying that he wants Arena to have a chat because... He likes having the chat and I have basically only had negative experiences with the chat. Right. I think there have been like five conversations I've had that have just been like, you know, had in good faith. People have been like, yo, your necklace is really cool, blah, blah, blah. You know, can I talk about that card choice? Whatever. And I don't know. I don't feel like the positives outweigh the negatives for what my experiences have been, but it's also possible that like, I'm interacting in the client in a way that is different than other people. Like, obviously, if you're playing like a commander game or something, you should have the freaking chat bar thing, right? Yes. But if what I want, if what I want is human interaction, and I think that uh, Magic Online version two did this really well with the the clan Clans, chats. Yeah. That was awesome. It, it was. was just a big chat room with like me and a bunch of my friends, and that was cool. And there was a, a way for it to like notify you that was not obtrusive. If someone posted in the chat, it was just like this little flashing thing at the bottom of your screen. And then uh version three and four just ended up like hiding it. Like it's still there. You can still technically use it. It's just not as clean and good as it was in version two, which just meant that no one used it, which sucks. And I would like to see some sort of functionality like that come back. Absolutely. But yeah, man, I, I honestly don't know what the best way is to allow you to engage with your opponent because I know that there are people who are going to abuse it. And at that point, at that point, it's just like I don't want people to like accidentally stumble into, you know, getting abused or harassed or whatever. Like, that's just stupid. Yeah, I mean, I, I want there to be chat, but I want there to be a good version of chat. And maybe that's just not a real thing. Like the whole vibe of arena feels very different. And I would like to believe that could have some impact on the type of interactions you would have with your opponent. If there were chat, this is probably my optimism shining through again that I think about chatting on the internet and realize what am I even saying? So I, I don't know, maybe there's some solution. Maybe there's like uh, opt-in messages afterwards, but for the time being, I will have to settle for my emotes and they're not accomplishing very much, but they give me something to click on without abusing that poor little scorpion. That's just trying to wander around the battlefield peacefully. No, that's fine. I, I think there is a system where it's like chat is open. And then after five people report you, then you get your chat privileges Forever. revoked for X amount of time. Sure. Yeah. 
And I think that's fine, but I also think that there are people who would like be salty in chat. You report them and they report you and then it's just stupid. Right. And then you have you to know? devote so resources to managing all that and reviewing chat logs and that's almost not worth the headache. Yeah. So I'm not sure what the best situation would be to actually handle that, but I do think that there is something there. We'll see. We'll see what the ultimate implementation is. I mean, sometimes you forget that Arena's in beta and it feels like this crazy full featured program, especially when compared to something like Magic Online. But hopefully there's a lot more things coming down the pipeline and we'll have to see what the final release of the game adds. Yeah, Magic Online uh, version four is still in alpha, you know, for for all that I consider. Right. <laughs> I'm just going to say that's an alpha program. Perma alpha has been the status of Magic Online for quite some time. Yeah. Meanwhile, Kenji in my living room refuses to play arena, only plays Magic Online. Some people, some people are not making the switch. More power to him. Someone's got to keep Magic Online alive. Yeah. Jabberwocky, Budakov. Yeah, they're all still All there. those people. Well, that's fine. Uh, like what you like. Kane, too. Kane, Kane, Kane was VTCLA is not going anywhere near Arena. Oh, my so, God. You know. I, I've literally offered VTCLA money to switch, and he has just <laughs> turned me down every time. I, I don't get it. People like what they like, man. Yeah, some people are just so resistant to change. It blows my mind. That's but. fine. As long as long as you're learning magic, enjoying it, that's all that matters. Yeah, so fun question, uh, mostly because we were <laughs> total polar opposites yeah. for that one. I don't know. I I would like to say that I will consider turning off the emotes and interacting with it again, but I'm scared. I'm honestly just terrified. Promise me. This is the only promise I want out of this conversation. If we ever, by fate, cross each other on the ladder, you will unsquelch me for the duration of our match. That's all I want. I just want the no, chip. Come on. You'll just be BMing me the entire time. Yeah, That's not with, cool, with you, it's actually BM. Just so you know, you're the one exception where I don't want to ruin anyone's time. I want to ruin your match against me. That's my goal. Right, and then I'll have to look for a new podcast co-host, and it'll just be it'll just be a mess. Right, a lot of work for you at that point. <laughs> I mean, do you really want to get fired over seeing your go? <laughs> it seems worth it at the time. I'll be like recounting in my elder days, like, man, I really had a sweet gig with that podcast. I just. I just couldn't not say your go and I blew it all. <laughs> You're going to put me down as a reference for some job interview or whatever. And I'm just going to be like, yeah, I mean, I fired him because he BM'd me on, on magic arena. Yeah. He said nice 12 times in the first five minutes of our match. So I've had to fire him. What choice did I have? Yeah. That I believe is game. Good luck.